And we are back once again. Rogue Table Talks number ninety nine. Almost there. Nuevo T Nuevo. Is it Nuevo? Is that even right? Uh, uh, yeah. I just don't know if that's how you say ninety nine. <laughs> I think you probably do know. That's not how you say ninety nine. That's uh, probably not. That's probably not. Uh, but it's Easter week. Right. Uh, yeah, we are recording this on what is called Monday, Thursday. Mm-hmm. Tomorrow is Good Friday. Uh, and we have uh, Easter services. And here, um, we're having you know Good Friday outside. Uh, I think it's supposed to be good weather. I think we're having an early Sunday morning one outside. So it'll be fun. It'll be good. It'll be, it's, you know. Hopefully the close of a really strange and hard year, not completely the close, but the beginning of the end, of, maybe, of that, and people getting back together. And um, and so, yeah, I mean, are you expecting semi-normal, see? Yeah, we, uh, so we're doing Maundy Thursday service tonight, uh, no good Friday, uh, and then our regular services for Easter, and we... Uh, ha- last week transitioned into having certain sections that were non-socially distanced. Everyone still wear masks, certain sections non-socially distanced. We're moving that again even this week because a lot of people here are vaccinated. A lot of people in the traditional services, the the older people, they're ready to come back with no Mm -hmm. masks. They're like, we've been vaccinated. Mm -hmm. We're, you know, I'm 80 years old. I'm tired of this type type Mm -hmm. comments. And so Mm -hmm. we're trying to take that wise, but slowly, um, but, you know, kind of a little quicker. Um, things have been moving very slowly for the past year, but uh, with this, the speed of vaccinations and people getting them availability, um, we might we might incline a little quicker to more normalcy. But we had we had um, um, really good crowds in the services last Sunday, and I think we'll. Have a good Easter weekend. Yeah, inching so. back, inching back to normal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was reading um, that uh, you know they've they've what, what they've what, from what they've been measuring, what they're testing that even the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines that with one shot you're basically vaccinated, mm-hmm. um, like you're eighty percent effective, uh, which is similar to the Johnson and Johnson one, um, and then you're also protected from hospitalization and death. So. You, know, you look at the number of people around here that have one shot, um, and it's pretty substantial. And you combine that with people who've had it already, and yeah, that's you know we're probably past fifty percent already of of herd immunity, uh, and that obviously grows every day, every weekend. And um, so yeah, we're yeah, we're and we're going to start probably communicating about that here uh, after Easter and begin that process of kind of transitioning back and. You know, hopefully summer will be kind of normal-ish. Right, you know? right. Yeah, so that's what we're looking forward to. Um, so, yes, hopeful. Hopeful about the future. We're going to talk about uh, Easter and the resurrection. Um, and what I thought would be uh, interesting, we touched on it briefly last week, but just the reality of the resurrection and then why why it's important, like why the physical, bodily resurrection of Christ is so is central to us and what some other thoughts that people have uh, about that um you know might be and what what other 
beliefs about the resurrection sort of entail uh, to people's face. So I want to read a couple uh, passages from uh, 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul is talking about the resurrection, and I think he's talking about it in the context of some people are saying there is no resurrection from the dead. Uh, and, you know, we can talk about that in, uh, in just a sec, but, um, and he's answering that, that argument that, that yes, there is a resurrection from the dead. It's central. It's really central to Christianity without an actual bodily resurrection from the dead. Whatever you have left over isn't really the, you know, Christianity isn't really the faith. So first Corinthians 15, starting at verse 12, he says, now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection from the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile you are still in your sins. Then those who have, been, have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Um, okay, so let's it just let's talk a bit about, like, who might be saying there's no resurrection from the dead here? A little guessing, but who might be saying that? Um, yeah. What are your guesses? Um, well, people in the church. Mm-hmm. people in Corinth, people around the Christians, is some, how can some of you say, so I think he's expecting uh, that somebody's listening to the letter that doesn't believe that there is a resurrection that Christ was raised from the dead or there's influence around the church that is infiltrating the church that they're hearing this and maybe buying into it so um, yeah, I mean it's a very, to me, it's a, it's similar but a little different. Like if people today in a kind of a more secular culture would say, you know, I don't think there's anything after this life. Okay, well, that's similar, but this is also, a, you know, you know, I've been to Africa in a very religious culture, even if it's not Christian, it's, it's Muslim or Hindu or Buddhist. Like the Ro- Romans, very religious. So it's, a, it's also a bit distinct when saying, we don't, it may be a theological argument. We believe in certain things about God and about the world and about this, but we don't believe in, in a resurrection. So I think there's similarities and differences to anybody that today say, I don't think there's anything after this world. Yeah, I think you know, he's saying, how can some of you say? So he's talking to people in the church. So there is some people saying this in the church, uh, as you said. And uh, I think, isn't it true that the Sadducees didn't believe basically yeah. in any sort of, you know, heaven or any sort of whatever, any sort of spiritual, uh, you know, you know, then faith, faith then becomes sort of an ethical, moral system and an identity marker and, a, you know, a tribal, like, this is who I am. This is what I believe. This is what it means to be a good person. But it's only for this life. Yeah. Um, and so there was probably some of that as well. You know, people maybe came to faith out of that or out of stoicism or something where they're not gathering 
the full import of perhaps or not haven't re- yet wrestled with the full import of of what it means to be a Christian, and uh, and you have to remember this is AD fifty. I don't know. Right. I mean, it's uh, not maybe not even that forty uh, something, uh, and so it's not like people had a lot of pre-existing understanding of a Christian notion of heaven or a Christian notion of lots of things here in Corinth, right? So it's all new and they're all grappling with it. So, um, but what he says is that (laughs) if Christ has not been raised, then this whole thing is for nothing. Our preaching is in vain. Your faith is in vain. We're lying about God. Uh, your, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. People who have died are lost. And, as a capper, if this is only about this life, we are of all people most to be pitied. Um, and so I want to talk about that for a bit as well. Um, and I'll maybe hit it here, and then there's another passage that follows that I kind of want to, probably will revisit it. But... Um, How do we look at our faith? Um, I mean, are, do we think of our faith as something that gives us a better life, mostly? Um, or is it more than that? Because Paul seems to be saying here, it, well, we believe it's more than that. But if we don't live like it's more than that, then we're living as if what Paul is saying here is true. Um, if we're you know, just very this life focused, very sort of, you know, uh, this like, like Sadducee sort of, you know, that it's an ethical moral system. It's a good life. It's a marker. It's who I am. It's what I believe. Uh, but the whole resurrection, you know, the whole beyond this, it's not something I think about or dwell on, um, that it just empties all of the power of, uh, the gospel really. Right. Yeah, and I think what Paul potentially is alluding to uh, as well is uh, our life of faith in the resurrection causes us to make certain sacrifices, and it should, should cause us to make certain sacrifices and make certain choices in our life um, where uh, it looks a bit, it looks distinct from the culture around us. Uh, where we choose the cause and mission of God over comfort and the American dream. And if we really are living in a way that, that we're living for a resurrected life, uh, especially I think Paul has potentially in mind, you know, I think it's in Corinthians when it's, you know, here's, here's what I've, here's what I've suffered for the cause of Christ, beatings and stonings and um, being whipped you know three times 39 lashes each time if i don't have any hope in the resurrection then this is all pointless then this is really um we should be pitied if i don't have any hope mm-hmm. that this is all going somewhere and this that that there's a there's a explanation for suffering even if i can't fully grasp it or that that this type of life um has an ultimate reward um then yeah i I think 
you know, we, we, that that you should pity that person. Well, I think that's that's such a good that's the key point that I want to wrestle with that. Do we really believe what he says here at the end of verse 19? If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we think of our Christianity that way, that if this isn't because the measure that which our faith costs us something is the measure to which that actually is true. And if it costs me a whole lot and it's only for this life, well then, you know, as Paul says, I think uh, in Romans, you know, if the, if that's the case, well, they eat, drink and be merry for tomorrow we die. You know, it, it, but if I think of my faith as the way to have my best life now and it keeps me safe and makes me prosperous and it gives me peace and security and makes me happy and blessed, if that's what I think, then, well, it's a pretty good deal, even if there is no resurrection. And that's Paul's basically repudiating that point that, no. That's really not what it's about. It shouldn't be about this. It shouldn't be about blessing and happiness and lollipops and rainbows and unicorns uh, in your best life now. Um, That if you're living the life correctly, it should cost you something. You should daily deny yourself. You should, you know, pick up your cross. You should climb on the altar as a living sacrifice to where, man, if that's not true, you've paid a heavy price for something. And it's not as if you don't get comforted along the way. And it's not as if he doesn't write about, you know, having joy, having, you know, a different sort of hope and peace. Um, But I do think it sort of puts to lie that, hey, really, you should become a Christian, even if it's not true, just to have your best life now. Mm -hmm. Paul is saying, no, you're, you're actually, of all people, are most to be pitied. Uh, I think that's sort of a shocking statement, Uh, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know that our cultural form of Christianity really believes that or even wants it to be true. I'm not sure how many people look at my life and would feel sorry for me. (laughs) You know, I mean, I don't think people look at me like, yeah, I guess it sucks to be a Christian. Yeah, but I do think... And I don't know that it means that we're being tortured or, right. you know, that we're poor necessarily. But it means, it might mean, hey, listen, Christ expects me to forgive my parents and to be patient with my spouse and understanding and see if, you know, all of this stuff that really in a real sort of everyday way costs me something. These are basic sort of foundational expectations of Christianity that are, you know, to be patient, to be loving, uh, to be steadfast, to be gentle, you know, these fruits of the spirit in the actual real world with actual real people uh, are really hard and cost me something. And if I'm doing all of that and, and it doesn't, <laughs> it's yeah. not just for its own psychological benefit, um, then, boy, that's a heavy... It, like, I should be 
okay with, I should normalize paying a heavy price to be a Christian in a sense, because that's what it should be. Well, and, and we've been focusing, there's probably more aspects to more pieces of this pie. We've been focusing on the sacrificial, you know, and you talked about kind of the moral, I was talking about aesthetics, but you, there's also the sense of, but everything I've lived my life around is is not true, and that would make me a fool if I came right. to find out that I've I've believed certain things and I've organized my my life and my family values and my mission right. and even the things I've told people that was true. This way says, if the dead are not raised, Christ hasn't been raised. Christ hasn't been raised. Your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. All this missional effort that we've expended is all completely worthless. Hmm. And so everything you've spent your time on, you find out at the end of your life, it was all a sham. It's like, yeah. gosh. Oh, That's a bummer. I would like to, I can't redo that. <laughs> so I think there's a lot of pieces of this pie where he's trying to say, like, the resurrection is uh, the the central point of the story. Um, it's not the only point of the story. It's in the context of this whole mission of God, creation, fall, redemption. Uh, but but it is the, the apex of the story. Right. That's the inflection point. It's without it, the whole story kind of falls apart. Yeah. And, but I don't think, you know, we don't want that to be true, or some of us don't want that to be true. Um, and so because of that, there's a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot of forms of, of uh, what is, uh, you know, part of, part of the church that denies, in a sense, the physical resurrection. There's different alternatives to it. You know, that Jesus didn't physically rise from the dead. His death is an example of sacrificial love, uh, which um, I think probably, you know, I'm not sure I totally understand what the purpose of the sacrifice was if it wasn't to pay the penalty for sin and to to rise again. But that that line of thinking then implies that Jesus is not... He's just, he's a human. He's man. He died. People don't, you know, people don't rise from the dead after they're dead if it's just people. Um, and therefore, Jesus is an example. Uh, he's an example of sacrificial love. I follow his example so I can, you know, there is a spirituality, but I can be like Jesus in mm-hmm. a way that, because he's a man, I'm a man. You know, if I learn to love like he loved, then, uh, and there's some part of that 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 is that appealing but it's um you know if it's not true it's not true if it's impossible it's impossible um and i think there's that there's the sense that maybe jesus rose spiritually that you know he's kind of like a ghost sort of thing um and but what these things do as paul is making clear is that's a completely different gospel story and it empties the one he's been preaching and it's you know throughout the new testament it renders it null and void and uh, you have to pick you have to pick one you have to live according to one you're living according to one or living according to the other um and let me uh let me finish the the passage a bit 
in where Paul, where Paul sort of underlines why that's the case. He's uh, starting in verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, and by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, then it is coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjected under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the God, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. And so this is sort of then the rest of the story. It's not just that Christ rose from the dead. It's that he rises from the dead to offer us life. So sin came, life comes. Sin comes in Adam, life comes in, in Christ. And then he comes as a king to reign. To re- like, there's a whole part of the story after this where he is the prime mover in the story. Uh, the bodily resurrected Jesus is the prime mover in the story. Um, and without that, it changes, yeah, everything. And so a lot of our hope is in all of that, that Christ righting every wrong, that you know um, he does come to reign and to rule. And that's without the resurrection. You don't get the whole rest of that story. And again, I just don't always think we live with that part of the story in view enough. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah, it's very difficult to do. Um, I think we've talked about this before. At least for me in my own personal story. I think, you know, when I'm in my 20s as a believer um, late, late teens thinking about living with the Indian I was very idealistic and whether I lived with the Indian mind or whether I thought I lived with the Indian mind um, this seemed more attainable keeping the reign of Christ and the return of Christ at the forefront and but then you 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 hit life, and then life, life happens. Life hits you, and you have yeah. a kid or two kids, or you get into your career, marriage, all of the above, divorce. Um, and I'm always reminded of the I think it's the parable of the sower in Mark four and a few other gospels. Of there's one. Uh, there's, there's seed that falls in three different places that doesn't bear fruit. And one of the places that it doesn't bear fruit is there's weeds that grow around the fruit, mm-hmm. the plant that's, that's going to bear fruit, and it chokes it. And Jesus just interprets the parable as the worries and the cares of this life. And I don't know about you, but the, the, the more you live, um, <laughs> the more years you get under your belt, um, I think it's difficult to, it, and it is faith, and at least for me, it's difficult to keep 
the reign of Christ and the return of Christ and where is this all going at the forefront in such a way that prevents and obviously we got to mow the grass and we got to pay the bills mm-hmm. and, and those are all good things and yet those things also um, because of my own heart and my heart's the problem usually it's not those things threaten to threaten to choke a life of faith so I think yeah this the resurrection me being raised from the dead I think it too like let's just talk about uh, fear for a second you know we've become more in tune with uh, I think everybody has fear we've become maybe more in tune with our fear of death uh, because of this past year and more in tune with our mortality um, but to me the resurrection is faith and hope in the resurrection uh, is the antidote to existential fear and fear Fear is one of those deep-seated villains that threatens to twist and hold you back and it shapes your perspectives and the way you lean into the world and everything. You almost don't even know it's there because it's mm-hmm. not just panic. Uh, there can be a deep-seated fear and yet you feel very confident. Um, but to me, the resurrection is the key that sets us free from the prison of fear. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's... Only only the big story works. A smaller version of the story just doesn't do that. Uh, and it's kind of basically, what do I think of my life or my faith? Um, that if I just want a 37% better life and I want to have a little more hope and a little less fear and I'm going to try to manage that, then maybe I feel like I can get by without you know, I just get by with the ethical teachings of Jesus and the moral support of the church. And, you know, uh, but if I feel, if I really deeply understand, yeah, that's not going to work. Mm-hmm. I am not able to just be better on my own. Uh, that Christ needed to die, needed to be raised, needed to offer this new life that he will finally need to come and clean all the mess up and that we live in dependence on him and that's our true peace and hope is in that. I really believe that changes everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, it changes everything about uh, not only am I able perhaps to be patient and to be humble and to you know have perspective and to forgive but I understand I kind of don't have a choice. I have a duty that that's, this is the story I'm in. Uh, and it's, it would be a repudiation of that story if I refused all that stuff. So it's like a whole different lens. I just, I do feel like we, we, we want to settle and we, to some extent are always in some way settling for a smaller version of the story where our life is better managed. Uh, and it keeps, you know, it keeps defeating us uh, in a way uh, that, yeah, it's if, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Yeah. I don't, I mean, I just, to wrestle with that more often, I think is almost a key truth in spiritual growth, spiritual flourishing, spiritual fruitfulness, that it can't be just up to me. Um, and, I'm dependent on his power 
I'm dependent on the hope of the resurrection. I'm part of the story. I'm not the author. I'm a character. Um, you know, those things are key things that change everything. And without the resurrection, we just don't, we just don't have that. Uh, so I think that's, I mean, for me, one of the things that, I don't know. I don't know what I normally think of when I think of Easter, you know, Hey, good news. Resurrection. It's also spring and flowers and candy Mm -hmm. and good feelings Mm -hmm. and ham. Uh, (laughs) If you have ham, (laughs) seems like hams, deviled (laughs) eggs. Uh, And that's all good, of course. Um, But that it should also, I mean, that the true hope is found in the reality of my utter dependence on the power of the resurrection. And there should be some amount of sobering reflection and humility, maybe even brokenness. Uh, And I'm not sure we always do a super great job of that. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. Well, I think that I, I love, you know, ritual rhythms, marking moments. Deviled eggs. Deviled eggs. <laughs> so I, I'm, not a, I'm not a huge, like, oh, the commercialism is evil type thing. Um, I mean, I, you definitely have some points there. But I, but it, it, I also think, like, we need to create, like, w- what we don't have that a lot of the church for history did have was the liturgical calendar that they followed. So they had all these markers and, Mm -hmm. you know, when some churches still have it today, some churches still, you know, you have the Ash Wednesdays, you have Lent, people are still giving up things for Lent. Um, They're marking moments. They're reminding themselves to be humiliated for 40 days to identify with the cross. And they're, you know, tomorrow or tonight, our Monday Thursday service will end in silence and darkness. And you're 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 trying as best you can to remember the resurrection and to identify with the resurrection. So um, I think I think that whatever we do, and and even it's not again not a dichotomy between secular sacred. It's more of well, resurrection life is is about flowers springing forth. It is about, you know, sharing a meal together. It is about, you know, children with playing games. Like, this is resurrection life. This is part of what the, you know, first fruits of life is about. Um, So, to me, it's less of a, we got to draw this dichotomy between it, more of a, we need to integrate God into the whole business anyways, because he's already there. Yeah, so it's not less than deviled eggs i mean yeah. don't hear me saying anything against deviled absolutely eggs or, or ham <laughs> uh, or easter eggs or the bunny um yeah. the easter bunny um but if if all i have is the easter bunny i'm among most men most to be pitied um that's that's the that's the message that's eugene peterson uh um yeah, so it's more than that so it's not less than that all of those things are fine uh and it's the same with Christianity includes moral instruction and includes identity and it includes 
some blessing. It's just, I can't settle for the smaller story. And I'm always going to want to settle for the smaller immediate story. Because mm-hmm. uh, the bigger story is maybe sometimes a little scaring or scary or whatever. Uh, but that's where the true hope is found. That without the bigger, without the actual resurrection, you know, I can go through the motions with a lot of things, and the motions are might be fine and pleasurable and good markers. Um, liturgy is good. Uh, it's just if it's only liturgy and there's no big deep reality behind it, then we are among all men most to be pitied. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think that's. Um, something probably we can wrestle with uh, this Easter is that uh, as we enjoy the rhythms of, especially this year, maybe if there's a little bit more normalcy than last Easter uh, and we look forward to more normalcy and, you know, the sun's out and the birds are chirping and there's flowers, uh, that this is all a harbinger of a final spring Uh, in which, you know, the resurrection, a story, moves to the next phase, and that's our hope is really in that. And that means all of the sacrifices, the everyday sacrifices of following Christ are worth it. Um, And so that's, maybe that's just what we'll leave you with this Easter, that uh, Christ is is raised from the dead, the tomb is empty. He's risen, he's not here, just as he said. And our hope is in that, and uh, living in that big story is the, is the greatest gift of Easter. So with that, happy Easter. Grace and peace. Thanks for listening to Rogue Table Talks, a Calvary Church media production podcast. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts.